Hey everyone, it's David Duchovny. Do you ever feel like a failure? Trust me, I get it. Hell, I've spent my whole life almost feeling like a failure. It's appropriate though, because on Fail Better, my new podcast with Lemonada Media, exploring the world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives is the whole point. Each week I'll chat with artists, athletes, actors, and experts about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, I hope we can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out on May 7th, wherever you get your podcasts. Today, roughly 42 million unpaid caregivers care for older loved ones in the United States. By 2050, Older adults will represent over 20% of the population. How are we going to care for all of them? Join me, Sujin Pak, the host of Uncared For, as I turn the spotlight on the emotional highs and lows of elder care in season two. Through intimate conversations with family caregivers, we'll explore what it takes to ensure our loved ones can age with dignity. Uncared For from Lemonada Media and the Commonwealth Fund is out on May 15th, wherever you get your podcasts. Lemonada. In the Bubble with Andy Slavitt is another amazing podcast from Lemonada Media, the network that makes this show. Host and former White House Senior Advisor for COVID Response, Andy Slavitt, is here to help you make sense of tough issues, from COVID to America's gun crisis to climate change, abortion rights, and beyond. Andy breaks down the most complex news stories of today in a way that's easy to understand and gives you the information you need to keep you and your family safe. At In the Bubble, they believe the most comforting thing for all of us is knowing what and what not to worry about. In the Bubble has new episodes on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Kiki Monique, and this is I'm Sorry, the unapologetic show about apologies. And this week, I learned that referring to a long sandwich as a hoagie outside of the East Coast is a no-no. Oh, yeah. Mm. That is so funny. And I am Mohamed al and this week, I'm in New York City, and it feels uh, illegally hot. It, it, it should be less than this. I don't like it. The mayor needs to do something about it. <laughs> call him up and my name is Oja Lopez and this week I am so honored so excited because we have an incredible guest joining us he is a comedian and the host of CNN's United Shades of America he's also the co-author of a new book called Do the Work an anti-racist activity book and also fellow Rage Against the Machine fan please everyone welcome W. Kamau Bell thank you so much for being here thank yes. you Yay. can we just talk about Rage Against the Machine for an hour that would be good yeah. Yes, that's yes. good. Um, uh, I know um, somebody got hurt at a concert last night, so we got to watch out for uh, one of the Rage concerts. So I got to go check on him. Okay. I don't yeah. know any of them personally, but I'll tweet. Oh, one of the sure members the of the band, are. or what? Yes, yeah, something happened, and they ended up. Somebody had to like um, oh, end up doing the rest of the show on just one leg, sitting on an. Amp, I'm going to try so. not to look that up while we're talking. Okay, <laughs> feel free. Feel free. <laughs> like I'm in my feel a little. Oh, I hope it was. Now I'm ranking my members of the. Band. I hope it was not. You know, so. 
I'm sorry for ranking members of Rage Against the Machine in my <laughs> personal order of importance. Yeah. Yeah. I do it to my family members, so oh, I yeah. would imagine you would do it to your yeah. favorite family. Yeah, my I'm... musical family members, yes. <laughs> yeah. um, well, Kamal, thank you so much for being here with us. Um, you know, here on I'm Sorry, we talk a lot about apologies and we talk a lot about, you know, I think the proverbial sort of like vindication arc. And that's not always something that is easy to talk about for everyone, because I think we love to see right now we're in a kind of punishment era and and some of it, um, you know, we're, we're navigating how how to do that. So we're so excited to have you on because I know a lot of the work you do is really surrounding, you know, personal accountability kind of across a ton of different areas. Um, I mean, look, I'll be honest. I want to know if you are still optimistic, to be honest. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. you, like, <laughs> have been doing this work. And I think, like, when, at least for me, when 2020 came around, because that's when I really jumped on social media. Like, I was, I would not consider myself an activist. And you even talk about in your show, United Shades of America, how, like, CRT, none of us knew what CRT was. Like, we're all new to this. And so I think there was a moment, you know, you even talk about you were everybody's black friend in that moment. And I felt that way too, like all of a sudden. And now here we are in 2022. And I don't, I'm trying to hold optimism. And I, and I look to people like you, I want to know, are you still optimistic? Because I hope so. <laughs> so I think I have to take always take a which is I was not a kid who was a fan of history. So I say that to show that like I actually care about history now. And I think I was not a fan of history because of the way they taught history to me when I was a kid. So <laughs> yes, right, that's right. <laughs> but like I sort of have to look at like, you know, like even like sometimes like, like am I having a worse day than Harriet Tubman? <laughs> like, you know, like just the idea of like which doesn't mean we can't have hard days and can't complain and can't. I think for me, I try to keep it in my inner circle. I'm not going to go on Twitter and be like, hey, everybody, I'm having a bad day. Emmy winner, nominated, comedian, famous person. But <laughs> I do think that, like, we are allowed to feel things. But I think for those of us in positions of privilege, which I would define myself as, I have to also keep it in perspective, especially being a black person in the history of this country. You know, it's it, it might get worse for black people, but it's like generally it gets better as things go on uh, over over the arc of history. But it does not get better enough for each of us individually. And I think like the hardest part, you know, is like, yes, things were really, really terrible then. But you kind of were fully aware of the terrible people versus the not terrible people. And now we're in this place where there are people who aren't like so terrible, but they're just unwilling to hear and listen. And I think that is like this, the, the the craziest part. And then we talk a lot about this woke, right? We're going to get into this woke and how woke has become the worst word ever. Like, let's be real, like white people ruin woke. It ruined it for all of us. And, you know, how do we navigate that when there's just like this level of like, we can't even talk to each other because mm -hmm. we just aren't even hearing each other anymore. I mean, I think one of the ways we navigate that is by calling it out when it's wrong. I think for me, I ignored woke, the demonization of woke because I thought it was ridiculous. And I probably ignored it for too long because I was like, that's not a thing. Like, that's like, that'd be like if they suddenly said it's lit meant us critical race theory. Like, it just felt like, yeah. it just felt like that's not a thing. That's ridiculous. Who's going to believe that? But I think we have to understand that, like, when when certain forces in this country on the right generally want to accrue power, one of the ways they do it is by demonizing black people. And whether that's demonizing black people as all, we're all criminals or demonizing the black intellectuals, like they're all secret blah, blah, blah yeah. words that don't mean what you think they mean, blah, blah, blah. So that's one of the ways in which they accrue power. So whenever we see that, 
we have to, those of us again, who are in positions of privilege have to stand up. Kimberly Crenshaw, who's one of the uh, pioneering scholars of critical race theory. Like I, I was lucky enough to get on a zoom call with her and she was like, no, this is bad. And so when I heard from her, I was like, oh, I thought this was ridiculous. And she's like, no, no, this is, they're coming for us. They're coming for black academics as a way to pull us out, to pull what we do out of the schools. And so, and it's, and we saw it trickle all the way down to elementary schools. So I think we just have to like hear the alarm sooner, I think is what we have to do. And yeah. so to answer your earlier question, am I optimist? I'm not a pessimist. I couldn't be a pessimist. I, I really think being black and a pessimist would be a real prescription for not ever getting out of the bed. Uh, yeah. So I think that like, I just can't, like, like so I, I do have this sort of like, I wish we could all just be friends. So I'm always sort of trying to aspire to that, but I have three kids, so I can't be a pessimist mm -hmm. for them. But I'm absolutely clear that like, none of this works unless we do the work. Yeah, and and I think I think to your point also, I feel like what's hard about this is that you know that those people want want you to stop being optimistic. Like the idea, like you you giving up on like becoming like basically a nihilist about everything around you is exactly what they want because that means that you're gonna stop fighting. Activism is just you're like, well, activism is useless, so I'm gonna stop doing that. So I feel like that aligns with their goals as well, and you don't want to like really fall into that trap. Cause like like what, what what you said like using the word walk as like demonizing it and then like critical race theory and using it these like uh, boogeyman words and they lose their meaning to a point where you feel so hopeless but you're like well you just kind of counterpart and play the game like it has no rules because that's how they're playing it so like one of the things that you know is brought up you bring this up in your series is like you know uh, Ibram X Kendi this line about like you can't be you can't be not racist. You're either racist or you're anti-racist, right? Um, and I think about this a lot when we talk about this demonization of woke, because I feel like there's white people that have now, like, come so far, it's gone way too far. Like, I was reading this story. I don't know if you read this story the other day about mm. Oberlin College. There was a story about how there was this 137-year-old bakery, uh, and... I guess there were three students who had gone there and they had actually shoplifted. But the school was like, no, you racially profiled these kids. So they boycotted this bakery and basically like destroyed this bakery. Come to find out the kids, you know, pled guilty. They did end up, you know, they did shoplift. And so the owner and his son were branded as racist. Uh, and the, the owner actually had like marched with Martin Luther King, right? And this is like a 97 year old man. Oh. Both the father and the the son have died and the one of the professors who was sort of leading the charge um they ended up suing the school suing this chart you know the um professor for like this defamation they won like 40 million dollars the school refuses to pay the professor has now gone on to like some cushy job i think somewhere in georgia um and and it's totally fine but this 137 year old bakery has now been destroyed this family who actually was probably one of the anti-racist people back in the day. Like one of the few allies we had kind of went to the grave, you know, people thinking they're a racist, you know, like how do we get back to a place where white people feel like they don't have to do all the things? Because I understand they want to be anti-racist, but now I feel like they are harming everything because they want so badly to be anti-racist. They're not, they're not paying attention. Well, I think the big part of that, I don't know that story, so now I'm like, I need to know that story. Uh, 
you know, I think a big part of this is about sort of the idea of like, it's not enough to read the Ibram X. Kendi quote. Read the whole book. <laughs> like, you know, like I think some people have Instagrammed the quote, and that's the full extent of their knowledge of how it is to be what it is to be an anti-racist. When you actually like, that's actually a part of the that's that's probably in the intro to the book. It's not even like that. It's not even like the the you know. It's not even like the the real analysis. And so, for me, the problem with this is like I remember this was during the pandemic one day, uh, but everybody, a bunch of people on Instagram had turned their squares black. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, and it was like, it was apparently for Black Lives Matter or racial justice or whatever. And yes. I remember seeing it and being like, oh my God, I missed, nobody emailed me about this. I, I, I'm supposed to know these things. Should I just turn my square black? Where do I get a black square from? Do I have to make a black square? And I, then I was like, slow down. And I texted Alicia Garza, who's one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter. She's at a place called Black Futures uh, Project. And I was like, what is this thing? I didn't, nobody told me about it. She's like, I have no idea either. And so for me, that, and it became clear later that some random white person had turned their square black and other random white people saw it. And then it just sort of, blah, 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 and nobody said, what does this mean? Exactly. Yeah. And I feel like that's the question that has to be asked more and more as you get excited for like to to uh, show off your anti-racism. It's like, what are you doing it for? And have you actually done the work to know exactly what you're doing? So, you know, like there's all these things where it's like, it may be that like, it is entirely possible. And I don't know this story. I want to be clear about that, that those kids were racially profiled and they shoplifted. Those two things can exist in one, in one universe. Okay. And it's entirely possible that white kids have shoplifted from there and haven't been caught because they haven't been racially profiled. So, but that's a real nuanced discussion. So, I, again, I don't know this story, but I know yeah. those things happen all the time. And I think we want to go, we want to call balls and strikes and good guys and bad guys. And it's like America has baked this so much into the cake of America that you can't separate it unless you actually look at the whole thing. Exactly. It's all about nuance. I mean, like, I, uh, when I think about white people like this, I think about Portland, Oregon, because I lived there for a few years. And it's always felt like a bit like like performative in a way where you find racism in stuff that are not racist and you speak up about that and then the real racism is laying on the sides and you're like, well, that's, I'm not gonna, this is too hard to look at. So I'm just gonna avoid that. And it's so funny just like seeing like sometimes like, I remember like I, I, had, a, I had a coworker in the past who, uh, came up to me when uh, the whole thing was happening with the uh, with the dreamers uh, you know when when they were like you know they've lost rights and they were like some of them were like being like threatened like to be deported back to countries that they never lived in and 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 all of that and I remember I had one of my co-workers approach me and he was like I hope that you're okay like is this like how like is there anything I can do for you and I was just like what are you talking about <laughs> And like literally, they're like, I was like, is it okay if I give you a hug? And I was like, I just need you to explain to me. Have you done any research? I am 31 years old, and I'm from Libya, and I've been here for seven years. What are we even talking about? I don't want you to be deported back to a country in South America yeah. that you don't know. None of that is. Ha- none of that is. Yeah, ha- and I was like, my man, I appreciate the sentiment. Maybe let's do some reading and do research before we just even. Uh... And I was like, also, do not give me a hug. No, <laughs> we literally yeah. like we don't even handshake. <laughs> oh man, it is. There is this sort of like misguidedness and this feeling of like. Uh, sort of like a, a first step in wanting to help and not really knowing how to do it and then putting your foot in your mouth and 
Um, my cousin, Daniela, she's a dreamer and she moved to New York and is a literal, like, she's got a master's degree in microbiology and still doesn't have her, like, full path to citizenship clear. But the questions that this woman gets from people all around her are completely delusional. At one point, she had a co-worker ask her, like, when she got here on a boat, like, because he assumed that she had somehow gotten herself on some kind of Greek Cuba boat where she just arrived at the shores of, like, Miami Beach, just, like, with a vest, just cackling in cold. And she's like, no, my parents brought me here on American Airlines when I was two years old. Um, I, um, I'm just hanging out. I like Olivia Rodrigo like everybody else. Like, it's just... It, the the vision of how of how of what race actually looks like or immigration or anything like that is so much more normal i think than these like extreme you know stories absolutely but i i <laughs> i i i couldn't have i would have paid money to watch your face as this man tried to hug you <laughs> yeah oh, i would yeah. have paid hard cash I'm Rachel Martin. After hosting Morning Edition for years, I know that the news can wear you down. So we made a new podcast called Wild Card, where a special deck of cards and a whole bunch of fascinating guests help us sort out what makes life meaningful. It's part game show, part existential deep dive, and it is seriously fun. Join me on Wild Card wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Do you ever get hit with a cringy memory of your 13-year-old self out of nowhere? And suddenly you're panic sweating and laughing at the same time. Don't, don't worry, don't worry. We all get that. It's because being an adolescent is one of the most visceral shared experiences we have as people. And we want to talk about it. Join me, Penn Badgley, and my two friends, Nava and Sophie, on Podcrushed as we interview celebrity guests about the joys and horrors of being a teenager and how those moments made them who they are today. New episodes of Podcrush are out now, wherever you get your podcasts. I also want. I also wanted to ask about you know uh, uh, the, the book. So obviously it's it's when when you write something, obviously you want everyone to to read it. But at the same time, who are you hoping this like would would actually read this and benefit from this? Because I feel like for some people, uh, you're people are gonna be like, oh, this is not for me because I've I've done the work. I'm a good person. So this is for other people. But when you think about it, who do you think this is for? First of all, if you actually say it's not for me because I've done the work and I'm a good person, then it's 100% for you. Just to be clear, because anybody yes. who's in that kind of ego yeah. statement is not, is not is, has not probably hasn't done the work and is probably not as good as they think they are. So, I mean, we want to be clear about this. Like, this book is for white people. Uh, you know, I think it, with the me and Kate, who's a white person, so I can say that, uh, <laughs> my co-author, who has written these books, Rad American Women A to Z, this whole series of books, which is about trying to get history into the hands of like kids and to adults who think they don't need it as they read it to their kids going, oh, I didn't know about that, is to sort of make this stuff more accessible. And when we sat down and wrote it, it was right after, it was shortly after George Floyd was uh was killed, was murdered by the cops in Minneapolis, and, mm -hmm. and Breonna Taylor is murdered by those cops. So, I mean, it's not legally murdered, but I would, as, that's my opinion. Um, 
Maude Aubrey being chased by white guys acting like police officers, an armed militia and getting cut, killed as he's going jogging and all these and Rashad Brooks and all these other things that happened that summer uh, that we were sort of like and we saw a lot of these sort of the black square level of white person like I'm going to do that or the person who's like, I'm going to put up this link on my Instagram and done for the done for this done for the racism reckon, uh, reckoning and and also we saw all those like even X Kendi uh, our friend Joma Uluwo and like all these books shoot up to the top of the bestseller list which are most of them are great books and many of them are written by friends of ours but we're like are you for one are you going to read those books or are you just going to put them in the back of your like zoom screen and two once you read them what do you do next and so this book and a lot of those books are sort of like not the the Kendi and the Jomas are good, but a lot of those books are sort of writing about the racism out there. And we wanted to create a book that was writing about the racism in here, and specifically for white people who even want to do something but just don't literally don't know what to do. And we were trying to write something that was a step by step sort of like personal, like sort of like uh like doing a personal excavation of yourself and going what's in here, and then leading you towards literally listing out. things you can do things you can support ways in which you can go about your support there's like there's like donation bingo in there to sort of show like who you should be supporting and on top of that we understand me and kate because we're both comedians you know in one way or another that we if we make it fun more people will engage with it and so our motto the whole time was funny but not fucking around they didn't allow us to put that on the book but (laughs) that is the motto for the book and because and and literally as i talk about alicia garza again our goal was like, we want this to be so that a white person, like my white mother-in-law, who, who went from like sort of no activism to sewing a pussy hat, would read this and get a lot out of it and really enjoy it and do it with her friends and do it with her friend group. And our badass activist friends from Oakland would read this and be like, this isn't for me, but, you do, but you're doing the damn thing. Like this, is, this actually is worthy because it's easy to condescend to the idea. So we really always held it against, and Kate's also an activist. How can we make sure that if an activist flips through this, they actually feel like there's good work in here? That's what I love so much about it. I mean, obviously, it's an activity book, and I like activities, which also already makes it easy for me. But it's just like, it gives you, obviously, things to do. But like the knowledge that you're learning, because again, one of the things you talk about in your series is just like about people have this vision of like CRT being like white, bad, black, you know, victim. And it's like, no, it's just like, you know, one of the lines you repeat, you asked people is like, do you believe that our school should teach an accurate and age appropriate history of the United States of America? And everybody should say yes to that. And that's, you know, this workbook is that but beyond. It's like not just, you know, and like one of my favorite sections was this skin in the game, right? Because just like you talk about is like, okay, you've posted your black square. Now what? You know, and then it talks about, you know, these people who I had never heard of. And you learn about like, you know, this white educator from Boston who was like the only teacher willing to teach a black child and the one white person who was killed during the black civil rights movement. I mean, I think white people would want to know that too, you know, and it's really cool. Um, and then it just gets to sections like, who's your governor? I bet a million people couldn't <laughs> answer that question, you know? And so it's like doing the work. It's not about like black, white. It's about like, do you even know the country you're living in? Do you know anything about it? Cause I would really love to know more. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the whole point is it really and I think we understand that like it really breaking it up into like even the ways you look at the book, some things are like little small, like fast fact sections and some things are like huge coloring pages and some things are like just filled with text and like but also you can color in the text and so it's like stickers we re- at the stickers end? we, ha- we that was where we started we were like who will let us put stickers in a book <laughs> and workman the company who published it who does these brain quest books for kids was like we do stickers oh and, so cool yeah i gotta put one i just realized i gotta put one on my laptop i got, I got other people's stickers on my laptop but uh <laughs> but like yeah it was really just about like no bad ideas in a brainstorm let's put all these things on the table and see how we can actually yes. like and again, like re- we really want the book to be something that is helpful and additive. And it's also something that even as the way we created it, by the fact that all the illustrators and artists are black, indigenous, uh, Latinx, uh, Asian, there, there's so that it was purposeful. It was purposeful even so that like it's, it would be easy to make a book like this and just, and just hire the people, the usual suspects to do the, to do the graphics and the, and the usual suspects are white people. Uh, probably a white guy. He's probably yep. 68. And so, but we went out of our way to be like, no, we, and luckily Workman, because publishing is largely white, especially at the higher upper echelons. Yeah. And so we were like, we need a black editor on this. And they got us a black editor. And we also need to make sure that it's clear that we want to employ, we don't want to employ the usual suspects. Yeah. Which is another part of your book on how to navigate, like being in a position of power and bringing people along. So it's cool to see that you're writing about it, you're living it, and it, it has to happen every day. And that's not always easy. So it's cool to see it all kind of come together. And then it's represented in this sort of like thing that is this book. Um, so one of the parts that I really enjoyed about it is um, the sort of we fucked up, but we were not able to use fucked up. You can't say bad words in this book. So it's a is a hashtag and at a percentage yes. symbol, our regular. Um, but it's, um, it's a lot about making mistakes and a lot about just how to take accountability. And one of my favorite parts of it is you guys sort of uh, – you enact there's this little yellow book and it kind of has this be and don't be sides to it Mm -hmm. um which i think is such a good kind of set rule for how to even start to take accountability and how to even without even having to utter the words i'm sorry or even know what you did wrong entirely um you give this sort of like um a little bit of like a roadmap of like where to come from emotionally whenever somebody's kind of told you that you've made a mistake. And so part of the B side is the humble, gracious, curious, transparent, motivated. And then on the don't be side, there's defensive, dismissive, dramatic, and defeatist. Um, So there is something really, I think, lovely about breaking down apologies, even to their most like core, like human thing. And so that was a really, really fun area to explore for me in, in the book. Um, it's funny you mentioned that because I think I learned a lot about apologies. This is why I think, you know, people say it's the golden age of television or movies. It's also the golden age of kid programming. So having mm. kids now during the golden age of kids programming means there's a lot of programming that I'm taking. And I'm like, this is great. Like I'm, I'm so like, there's a, there's a Daniel Tiger song that has become one of the staples of our house that is saying, I'm sorry is the first step. Then how can I help? And it was just like, it, this is a kid song. Like it's just like, it, it's like a oh, 15 second kid song. It's like, that's the whole thing. And so I said, we said it to our kids all the time. No, like tell your sister I'm sorry and then ask her what you can do to make it better. So I'm, for us, that kind of all that sort of inspired the book, like how like getting people past the like and also really owning the fact that like it's not if if you're going to be engaged in anti-racism work and you're new to it, then you're going to fuck up. Just sort of yeah. get you past, like, what if? No, no, you are. You're 100% going to screw up. You're 100% going to mess up. So just accept that and then get to the place of how do you come back from it. 
because generally people understand if you mess up and then you come back from it and go, here's what I'm prepared to do. And it, and also then you prove by your further behavior, you're not going to do it. They will actually like you more than if you never fucked up. Yeah. Because if you never screw up, then it, then people get suspicious. They're like, what are you hiding? Yeah, they're like, you're so good at hiding things that <laughs> yeah. you've done. Yeah. 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 I'm so curious, too, because, you know, you talk about there's like this intro section where you talk about, like, how do I de- identify? And you talk about how your dad is black and you have capital B, but lowercase L-A-C-K, but your mom is black, all caps. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I was just curious, like, did you like have your mom like after this workbook did you have her help you with this did you ever review it afterwards just to be like get her eyes on it because it seems yeah, like I mean, she, she obviously informed a lot of this i couldn't keep her eyes off of it if, it, if stuff's <laughs> sitting around she just picks it up she's just she's, <laughs> she's, that's it, definitely a mom yeah, it, she's just picking shit up at your house and st- yeah yes, just like absolutely. just like you know there's no there's no and we'll be very clear like i made you so all of this is mine so oh my god know. and yeah. is she like ever Like, what does she think? I mean, I think a lot of people, I think I was introduced to you as the guy who talked to the KKK. That was like the very first time I heard your name. My calling card. (laughs) And like, (laughs) shit. Did you you tell your mom before you were going to do that? You were going to do that? And was she like, hell no? Or like, go do that? No, she was like, oh, Kamau. All right. Uh, (laughs) Like, you know, she's very much, I mean. It's her fault. I mean, I wouldn't yeah. be so interested in anti-racism if not for her. So it's not like I'm doing. I think she'd be she'd be more disturbed if I was going to go join the KKK. But I think that, well, yeah. like, like, which the membership is pretty low right now. So as my friend Dwayne Kennedy jokes, they are going to start accepting more diverse membership. Uh, that's Dwayne Kennedy joke. That's why I want to make sure he. Oh shit. Uh, but like. Uh, but yeah, but I think her thing, I mean, it was her, her, my wife and my dad's their number one thing is about safety and like, but also yeah, like of course. they, we talked about what do you, why do you want to do this? What are you going to do? And also they understood that like, there's this, I've only learned this about myself through like the last few years, but there's something about me that is attracted to the more fractured areas of conversation and the more and 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 also the, knowing that the best conversations are the ones where you can be sort of the most wide open and free and also where you're going to end up learning something like if you walk out of thinking, oh, I didn't know that. And I think that so many people in this society promote not learning that I think it becomes my job to raise the stakes on what good conversation and learning is. So, you know. I mean, the funny thing is, I said to my best friend after the Cosby series came out, like, well, I guess I'm not the Klan guy anymore. <laughs> like, so oh my like, God. <laughs> okay, we, need to, we yeah. need to talk about that a little bit. But I do want to say that I love that line. Like, the fr- I, I'm the same way. I love, I'm drawn to the fractured conversations. Like, I remember, like, I, w- I go to Texas, I'll find, I love a dive bar. And I will find the weirdest dive bar in the outskirts. And I sometimes am I a little bit scared, but I want to draw a conversation to those people. Because I might have been the first black person that they've even talked to in that capacity and I want them to remember that moment even if we like can get heated and have like real discussion so I I do love that but like yeah the uh, you know the other thing that people know you and congratulations because you were nominated is this Cosby docuseries which I will offer my apology <sighs> I haven't been able to watch it. And I'm not saying it's because I don't want to watch it, because I absolutely do. It's, I, it's, I thought you were going to say, after my apology, I tore you down on the internet for weeks. Because I was like, why would this black man tear down another black man? And then I realized that. You know, so like, I thought that's what no, you were going to say. It was ex- it's exactly what that series is about, which is why I need to watch it. He was America's dad. It is so hard for me to... 
I he is he did bad things and I acknowledge that and I do not and I I don't say he didn't. It's so hard for me to just step into and like watch it though. You don't have I mean, let me be clear first of all, you don't have to apologize for not watching. This is again, it's the great era of television. I don't, not everybody wants to turn on, especially during these fractured times, a Cosby documentary. You sort of you run to some comfort and other things. So right, I don't, fuck boy I don't island any... is on. So yeah, <laughs> like and also as somebody who clearly understands and believes that he did bad things, you're halfway there. So I don't need you know I don't. It's like I feel like this documentary was in many part made for the people who were sitting on the fault like on the sort of on the fence of that discussion. I will say this. I think if you press play on it just on the first episode, it is we do it in a way that you're not expecting. So that's okay. all I'll say is that. So I would encourage yeah. you to watch the first five minutes and just sort of go because I think that's I'm aware of you when I made it, like not you specifically, yeah. But yeah. I'm aware of the person who's like, even though I believe all this, I don't know that I want to watch it. And so I was making it, and that's why I think it's great to be a comedian because I was aware of like how do I make this actually be something that people will watch and will want to keep watching as opposed to like. I mean, here's the thing. I saw the, I watched Surviving R. Kelly by the great Dream Hampton like it was medicine. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is not fun. (laughs) This is not, but this is important. And this is, and I, you know, my youngest daughter was a baby at the time. So it's sitting, making her go to sleep while I'm watching on my phone. Like, I'm just like, I have to take this in. And so, and I think Dream Hampton had to make it that way because she was like, this is an active crime scene and I need your help in catching the criminal. And she did that. She 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 changed justice through that. Yeah. And so for me, this was not the same level of intensity because it was not, at that point he was in prison, it was not an active crime scene. So there's a little more of a, yeah, of a yeah. viewpoint. I think a, that's why, yeah, it was so much easier for me to watch the R. Kelly because it was like, he was like, I felt like he was under the jail at that point. It took me a lot, look, to be fair, it took me a very long time to watch the Michael Jackson documentary too. But yeah. I will watch it before the emmy so i promise you i will watch it before. do what you do I, I, you had me on the podcast you, you've done your work hi i'm june diane raphael and i'm jessica st Clair. And each week we are sitting down to talk all about life's twists, turns, and absurdities on The Deep Dive. From exploring the depths of TikTok, which is our only news source, to navigating the complexities of grief and loss, we are just two best friends behind a mic processing life together. This podcast is all about finding the silver linings in the madness. So get ready for unfiltered conversations about motherhood, careers, pop culture, and everything in between. Here at The Deep Dive, we're all about community. We believe in the power of sharing experiences and the strength that comes from supporting one another. And we would love to have you with us. So be sure to join us every Wednesday on The Deep Dive from Lemonada Media, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. After season one aired, I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few, and of course, my 90-year-old mom, Judy. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me Season 2 is out now from Lemonada Media.
you know, I like that you you need to talk about. It. You said this like a nuanced conversation about like Bill Cosby. Like we're not really like, you know, uh, saying look at the other side. Let's hear what they're saying. It's more like it's hard. It's a hard conversation. It sucks, but no, like you know, the the, the name of the name of the documentary is we we need to talk about Cosby, and yeah, and I think it's very interesting when you say like nuance because like I feel like the trap that a lot of like the media falls in is that they think they're being nuanced while they're just two siding a problem. Uh, we're talking about white supremacists, we're talking about the Nazis, and we're like, okay, but let's see how the Nazis feel. And you're like, this is not nuance. <laughs> yeah. We don't need to hear it's, from them. It's also not no. intelligent. It's not an intelligent <laughs> yeah. way to talk about the Nazis. It's not a, it's Exactly, like it's not, yeah. yeah. Which is the opinion section thrive in that uh, category. Because I uh, not too long ago I saw this, like two days ago, it was about like how how Christians feel so bad now for being demonized because every time they take your rights away you're calling them extremist and fascist and how that is bad. And like an interview about like how they're feeling. Oh. And I'm like, no, actually it's okay not to hear from them. That's fine. That's not, that's not nuanced. That's just two sides. And this, we shouldn't be reporting that way. The thing right now with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, there's a lot of like, even though if you, all the polls that are out there will say that, that Americans overall want to support a person's right to have access to an abortion. And yes. then you, but the media portrays is like on one side people think this, on the other side people think this, and what that does is it puts people who don't have enough of the knowledge to go, that's too complicated because these are two sides. Instead of going like the country overwhelmingly thinks this way, here's how it is affecting the country that they don't have access to an abortion, and this is why you should care. Yeah. Like to me that, and that's sort of the work that I feel like I'm in right now. The side of like this is why you like I just did this. Uh, I was invited to do this thing, uh, Dads for Choice, about getting dads to care about access to abortion. And it was just, to me, it was just the idea of like, most of us middle-aged dads are like, ah, so I had my kid, so I don't have to worry about this. Or I, I had my vasectomy, so I don't have to worry about this. Yeah, but your whole life has happened before that. And at some point, birth control and or abortion has been part of that, whether you knew it or not. Mm-hmm. Exactly, 100%. It's just, there's just like this, this one quote that I remember is from Sally Claire, and it's about journalism. And it says, if someone says it's raining and another person says it's dry, it's not your job to quote them both. Your job is to look outside <laughs> the fucking window and find out which is true. <laughs> That's such a good one. I love Which that. Is exactly, yeah. Bring me the truth. I don't care to hear about people who I know for a fact are very, very wrong. I mean, I think with the show, the only reason that it's worth putting some of those people on TV sometimes is because some people believe they don't exist. Mm. Like some people that think that like that those people don't actually like. So I'm not. So I like. There was the women who said that like teachers shouldn't say Nazis are bad. Teachers shouldn't <laughs> say slavery is bad. And you're like. America needs to know these people are out here. For those of us who think that, like, 100%, we're making, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think for me, but it's not. But in no way did we go. Oh, I guess that is a good point. Like on the show, we don't go. Absolutely. I guess we because <laughs> the thing that you're doing is at least you're pushing back. You're like you're providing your your side of it too and stuff. But I feel like when it's usually presented in media, it's just like you hear them say the most terrible things ever, and you're like, well, that's their point of view. We're not going to challenge it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember there's a there's that show. It's a not a it's not a very beloved show, but it was the newsroom is an Aaron Sorkin show. Yeah, but yeah. The, uh, there was a there's a part in there where they talk about like there's this and you see it on YouTube. It's like a clip where they talk about there's like the idea of two sides to a story, and he and the the anchor guy's like there's not two sides to every story. There's one side. Sometimes there's eight sides. Sometimes there's twenty sides to a story. There's not there's not always two sides to a story. 
Yeah, there there is something about the a sort of a simplification of of like fairness and the feeling of fairness, and I think they mentioned that in that uh, that series, which I really love. Is it wrong to love it? Did you did you see what's going on? I know. I think. I think that. I don't think it's wrong to love it. It's, it's, I think if you say it out loud, people will, you'll get some pushback on the social you'll media, not in the group chat, in the social um, media, because there is it, Aaron it, Sorkin it. is a lot. Like so. Like, and Agreed. I, and so I think you can sort of feel when you can feel the Aaron Sorkin in it. It's like okay, we need to slow it down a little bit. So, but but there are lots of great parts of that series. So I Agreed. when I say it, I feel like I have to go. I know not everybody wants to hear this, but yeah. <laughs> got it. Oh, the disclaimer. Which, by the way, the irony of me asking Kamal Bell whether or not it's okay to love the newsroom, whatever you told me I was going to abide by. I was going to be like, well, Kamal said it was okay, so I don't know. I guess just take it up with him. Yeah, yeah just, um, at, just at me. Whenever you tweet about the newsroom, just at me in it so that people can send all your ads to him. Sorry. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, and just to, uh, to to go back really to, I think, like, when I think of your kind of body of work and about how much, um, like, sort of, because I, I also knew about the, knew you from the KKK conversation and then also really loved Politically Reactive with Hari. And so I feel like I've been sort of, like, following these things and you've just sort of, like, been so legit, like, so legit, dude, like, from this like these incredible sort of like things that you did in your real life all the way to like CNN and this whole entirely new platform of talking about anti-racism and the activity book like how do you I, this is a very general question but how do you feel like wh- that is like in this <laughs> to be an expert in those things I would just love to know like how you feel about that trajectory you know I mean, I think first of all, and I, I know you, I know how you mean it. I just want to be clear. I mm. don't claim expert status. I claim active I learning status, and I just mean yes. that like in the most sort of like. I think one of the things I've tried to do with all this is keep my ego out of it because mm-hmm. people will tell you you like you're so smart and intelligent, and I am. And I go, wait, didn't you drop out of college? Yes, I did. Do that. I did do that. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it doesn't mean you have to be college educated to be smart but you know what i'm saying like i just have to keep oh, my me ego too. In check. i dropped yeah. out too yeah. so so i but i do feel like i just want to keep my ego in check and know that most of my most valuable work is not what i'm saying it's what i'm pointing to so like in the episode of united shades about woke and critical race theory it was like we got to get kimberly crenshaw on here so it's like she's not going to be on cnn most likely yeah because she's not going to answer that call most likely so we have to put her in here so that i can go you know the things I'm saying? Actually, listen to this person say it. Listen, so for, I think that's the most valuable. And even in the book, me and Kate were very clear about like we have to promote it. We have to make sure that it's about here's the things we're quoting from, here's the sources, there's a bibliography in the back that Kate was that Kate worked on. And also like hiring our friends. So really making sure you the thing that I think I'm the the trait that I'm proudest of is really bringing other people along. And not sort of like being, it'd be easy for me to go, yes, me and me and Ibram X. Kendi are basically doing the same work, <laughs> even though it's like, you're, like <laughs> you're a connector. I'm a connector. I love connectors. Yeah. They're the best. <laughs> yeah. But you do such a great job of interviewing. Like, because a lot of these conversations that you're having and, and whatnot, like I look at them and I'm like, I personally would be very frustrated right now. And I don't know how to carry this conversation. And I think it's very interesting because like recently I've been, uh, I've been touring with, with your friend, Hari, and, uh, and you know we you've, you've done uh, uh, politically reactive together and all of that stuff. And I remember like multiple times we're like in these small cities and you know places I've never been to personally, and talking and hearing from people who are saying the wildest shit. And he was very good at just like 
keeping the conversation going and just answering, asking questions and, and all of that. And I was like, this is such a good skill to have. Because for me, I'm just like sitting there. I'm just like, I just need this to stop right now. Yeah. Like, I don't, yeah. I, I need this person to stop talking. But he was like very good at just like, you know. And I was like, I'm sure also he has heard worse stuff. So he's like, <laughs> param, like, yeah, I mean, like I very that, high there. Yeah. I think, first of all, people think they're the smartest, most clever person when they come up to try to get you. Like, oh, what a blah, 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 blah. And you're like, you don't understand I do this every day. <laughs> so, like, you, so you think you're really doing something now. And I'm like, oh, you're doing, I'm like, oh, that's move 15 you're doing right there. It's not like a thing that I'm unaware of. So exactly. I think for me, and it's also the, the thing I've learned through United Shades and really just through making the show, the more I'm quiet and let people talk, the more they will reveal themselves. So it's much less of a debate show than people. Some people want it to be. I'm like, no, no, no. This is like get this person talking and then step out of the way, which is also the same thing I did on Cosby. It's like make the conversation start, and then once yeah. that person gets a good head of steam, then you just step out of the way. One hundred, because like they just like, keep digging that hole, and then at some point they just keep digging, and because you're not asking them to stop, and then eventually they're like, well, that's too deep. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think. <laughs> Whatever those women believe, the ones I talked to on the streets of Arizona about, like, whatever they believe about whether or not you should say Nazis are bad, or that teachers shouldn't say Nazis are bad or slavery is bad, they are definitely thinking about it differently right now as it goes out into the stratosphere. And I'm sure some of their friends are like, I mean, yes, we all believe that, but we can't say that out loud. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I feel like that, like, that's <laughs> that, like, that there is an effect that is had. But again, the bigger effect yeah. is the one I want of people who are watching it. It's just like, this is, this is our America right now. Exactly, yeah. So do the work in anti-racist activity book. Where can people, it's out now. Where can people get it? Uh, yeah, the book is out now wherever books are sold. I would say go to your finest indie bookstores, support your local businesses, and get do the work. And, uh, and, it, and get a pencil and get to work on uh, dismantling white supremacy. It's your job. Thank you so much for joining us. This was like the most fun we've had all oh, week. Oh, thank you. All of mine. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Even having when me. we're talking about racism, it's still it's still fun on these parts, I think. I, I appreciate that. No, I'm happy. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Okay, well now it's it's time for my favorite segment, Sorry Not Sorry, where every week we either demand an apology from someone or we ask for an apology. Mm-hmm. And I am going to start with Oha. Me? Really? Yeah. No, yes. stop. Okay, okay. This week I... Um, I would like to apologize to a neighbor because I uh, don't know which neighbor in particular, so I'll just put it out there. Oh, um, okay. But my main situation is that I'm slowly trying to, uh, like, s- maybe not steal a cat, but have a co, you know, a coexisting parenthood with another neighbor that I don't know with a street cat that has been coming up to our front porch and I've just been leaving maybe like little bits of food and treats and maybe just kind of petting it for extended periods of time and then I let it up the stairs and pet it for a little while longer and I'm I'm not going to slowly lure the cat and like keep the cat obviously but I would like to apologize for you know slowly just taking the love of this animal away from their their parents essentially um so anyways i'm a nightmare i'm out here doing it stealing cats slowly with love so i'd like to apologize to my unnamed neighbor for this and you're not even a cat person so this must be a very special cat i'll send pictures this cat is so cute you guys oh my god 
Very, very cute. I have a cute porch cat that comes up to my window and I I Mm want to teach me your luring ways because every time I open the window, he or she runs away. But I I want too cute. Oh, I doesn't like cats. You just like theft. That's uh... (laughs) right. (laughs) Established on this podcast. Exactly. That's it. It's just the thrill of taking it. That's so fun. Well, Kiki, have you uh, stolen any pets this week? What's happening? Well, no, but I do. There is a really cute cat that comes up um, to my windows, has just like a little cute little black mouth, and I just want to steal it. So I am going to try to lure that cat, um, <gasps> mostly because I want to get it a vet. It, it probably needs some help. Um, <laughs> yeah. But um, you know what? I need an apology apology from the... It's not It's not an Amazon delivery driver. It is. I think it's like someone who's been outsourced. And they they use a van. There's something called piggy cars in California. I had never heard of these things. Piggy cars. I guess they're like these rental vans. And um, all the Amazon packages that have been ordering have been delivered from this person. And this, this, I don't know why, because all the other delivery people understand that there's a gate that you walk to the porch. But for some reason, this delivery driver can't find it and has just been chucking the packages over the fence into the yard where the cars are um, one time, like launching like a 50 pound box of like uh, garage items. And so I need wow. an apology because like I, you're, we had to already send one package back damaged. <gasps> and um, I'm just worried because I have a very important package on the way <laughs> and I'm very scared. It's going to just get tossed over the fence and then maybe we won't even see it. And then it, where the cars are and then I'll run over it. I don't know. Is it maybe a Fabergé egg? No, it's uh, I can't even tell you. I'll tell you later. I can't, okay. I, I can't even jinx it because it's on the way. But <laughs> okay. I just need an apology from this. Amazon driver, just learn where the door is and just please just place it gently inside the door. You don't even have to bring it all the way up to the to the porch. Just... You need to get a ring light and you need to tape him and then you need to drag him. I have one, but he's Ooh. on the other side of the fence tossing. I can't see. <laughs> they always know how to hide when they're yeah. doing bad stuff. You know, you know what? I uh, now you, you know you talked about packages and stuff. I was going to do one apology, but now you reminded me of one. An oh. old apology. Yes. Old. That I demand from my old super that my first building here in New York City. My God, that man. I I truly never disliked someone more. Mm. I'll say it. I don't think he yeah. Here's wow. okay, so this is something that this man used to do. Okay. So uh the packages get left uh outside like in the hallway. And I remember I got this package and I got it on like express so I can get it in one day because I really needed it. And I come out, it's not there. It disappeared. And I'm like, so I'm like, did someone steal it? I hate this shit. This sucks so much. Two days later, this man messages me and says, hey, uh, yeah, so I just wanted to keep your package safe. So I just took it. It's in my apartment. (laughs) No. And I was like, you did not need to keep it safe. This is just, also, you could have texted me the second you took it. Why, Why are you doing this now? And then I go to this man's apartment every day for two weeks. <gasps> and he's not there? No one has ever answered. And his apartment is my building, by the way, obviously. Wow. And I like literally text him like almost every day. I'm like, hey, man, I came to your apartment. Where's my package? I really need it. And he has not responded. And then two weeks after, he's not, he has not even responded to me yet. He just left it by my door. After oh, no. two weeks, said nothing. Wow. But if you were protecting my packet, you literally still left it outside. Yeah. 
What was the, what was what the was point the of all of this? Yeah. Wow. And truly one of the worst people in America working right now. <laughs> He is working. He is in America. I would have just, I mean, knowing me, I would have started, I would have started lying and saying that my life um, saving medications were in that package. And if you don't have it back to me within 24 hours and I die, that my estate will be suing you for everything. So. <laughs> Forever. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think that man would have cared if I lived or died, to be honest, from the look of it. Uh, Honestly, maybe yeah. he's a time traveler who somehow saved your life through that. You know, I'm so yeah. sorry that I wanted, I, you know what? Fuck him, Mahanad. I'm so sorry I even tried to defend him with a time travel thing. We literally just had a whole conversation about two-siding. And, <laughs> yeah, this, and here and, I am. And oh, right here, literally created time it. travel for this man. <laughs> what if he was nervous and having a bad two weeks? Absolutely. God, yes. Yeah. No, I, I believe that man does not feel. Uh, that's how much I hate him, honestly. <laughs> but yeah. It's fine. I hope he still has his job because I don't want anyone to lose their jobs. That's just I feel like that's what being a millennial is. You get treated the worst way possible by someone with whatever job and you're like, I hope you continue to have this job, you piece of shit. Because I care about you and your well-being. I'm Sorry is a Lemonada Media original. The show is produced by Alex McCohen. Supervising producer is Chrissy Pease. Our executive producers are Stephanie Whittles-Wax and Jessica Cordova-Kramer. Our mix is by Kat Yor, and theme music was composed by Xander Singh. If you like this show, please rate and review. And please don't cancel us. You can find out more about our show at Lemonada Media on all social platforms or follow us on Instagram at I'm sorry underscore podcast. We'll be back next week. And until then, be nice, play fair, and always say I'm sorry. Thanks for listening. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jose Andres. Maybe you know me from my restaurants or maybe from Wall Central Kitchen, the organization I founded to feed people after disasters. Well, it's time for you to know my podcast, Longer Tables. Each episode, I get to know fascinating people in the most Intimate way, through food. Stacey Abrams, Jojo Ma, Jane Goodall, Padma Lakshmi. I will answer questions from listeners too. Join me in building longer tables, not higher walls, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey friends, it's Megan Trainer And her big bro, Ryan Trainer And her husband, Daryl Sabara. Each week on our podcast, Working On It, we share behind-the-scenes stories and bring you into our hilarious and heartfelt conversations, and sometimes with amazing guests. We tackle everything from navigating Hollywood to mental health to Megan becoming a mother, Daryl becoming a father, and so much more. We'll get into the nitty-gritty of our lives and leave no detail behind. Prepare to laugh, cry, and hopefully learn something new. Listen to new episodes out every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts.